I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, Editor-in-Chief of Live Healthy and host of the Live Healthy Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Nancy Zebina. She's a Canadian, Dubai-based motivational speaker, kundalini yoga instructor, and a compassionate inquiry therapist. This is a therapeutic approach developed by the world-renowned Canadian practitioner, Dr. Gaber Maté. And we spoke about using it to help people explore and process their emotional pain. Welcome. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So let's, you know, one of the things you talk about is sort of the stigma associated with being in therapy, so prevalent in the Arab world. I've experienced this in my personal life with, um, you know, Arabs and Arab men who, who suffer in a way that I can't comprehend you know, coming from where I come from and having my beliefs about mental health. So can you just walk me a little bit through, we talk about it all the time, but to see it play out, can you just talk to me a little bit about how you see it, how you've experienced it? Yeah, uh, having lived here for 20 years, there's there's definitely a, a sort of feeling that um, what happens at home should stay at home. and uh, And also that if we're feeling sad, or angry about something that we should conceal it with a smile uh, or that there'll be other things that we can cloak to kind of um, hide those feelings. Uh, so in, in the Arab world and being originally Arab myself, my, my parents are both Palestinian, although I was born in Canada, uh, I, I get that. You know, they're just, they're, they're, there isn't a lot of talk about our feelings. We don't talk about when we're sad. You know, we focus on the bliss, we focus on the joy, we focus on the happiness. And, um, and, and so that's kind of like a cultural thing. Uh, not that easy to actually admit when we're feeling sad, not that easy to kind of go public about when we're feeling sad uh, and to show that level of vulnerability. Um, so I would say the stigma is very much still uh, around showing vulnerability. Uh, and being truthful to oneself, uh, not just privately, but publicly, uh, because of this sort of cultural uh, byproduct that is associated with uh, going out there and being honest with our feelings. How much do you think religion plays into it? Because I know as I, when I moved over here and as I was covering in the early days in news and the national, the approach to tragedy was much different than I was used to in Canada, you know, there was, all, you know, it's like God willing and he, and he's in a better place. Very, very, very quick transition. Even obviously in Islam, the burial is, is faster. All that whole process is very quick. And um, I just wonder how much religion you think plays into this. Um, yes, uh, you know, the whole kind of sentiment around inshallah, you know, that, that God willingness and that, that things, all things come from uh, the divine and all things go back to the divine uh, in a way allows one to kind of say, okay, well, it's coming from God and therefore um, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I just need to kind of live with it. I need to deal with it. Um, 
there could be an element of it that could be, and, and some of that is cultural. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I would still argue that uh, it's, it's less about the, the religion and much more about just the way that, that we as Arabs kind of manage our feelings. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend and, and he was depressed. He told me, I've been depressed. And I said, why didn't you tell me? And he said, because it's my depression, it's mine. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of like, well, that's, I mean, that the first thing I do when I'm depressed, I tell a friend, I think, because I know. So that just feels so lonely because then you're just wrestling, wrestling with that dark circle sort of, of rumination and thought. Of course, of course. And it takes a lot to be able to come out and say, I'm depressed. Yeah. It takes a lot to actually acknowledge what that experience is like in your mind and in your body. And, and to be able to say, you know what, I actually feel depressed. And the thing with depression is that we all have those moments of feeling low. And what takes us into depression is, is, is the depth of that loneliness and, and the lowness, I should say, and, and the uh, inability that we might have to pull ourselves up. So it's almost like a stuckness of that low state because we all have dips. I mean, it's part of being human. Uh, there are days when we feel more joyful, uh, days when we feel more sad, days when the anger kind of gets to us more intensively. And a lot of that is biochemical, a lot of it. And, and when we begin to understand the body, we learn the importance of the breath and the movement and actually altering our state. But, um, but, but just how important it is to be able to actually stop feel, say, I'm depressed. Hmm. I'm depressed. Okay. All right. What am I going to do about this? This is energy that's not moving inside of me. This is something that is, is, doesn't seem to be shifting. What, what can I do? And actually just the very act of saying, this is how I feel. I'm depressed is already creating a shift. Right. Right. Now, can you explain to me compassionate inquiry? It's a psychotherapeutic approach founded by a Canadian uh, Dr. Gaber Mate, who I just, I love listening to him on any podcast I can find because of his wisdom, but also beautiful voice. So he speaks a lot about addiction um, and about, you know, the pain that drives addiction. Can you just sort of tell me what, how you got into compassionate inquiry and sort of what it is? Yes. Uh, I've been following Gabor for the better part of a decade now. Uh, and seven or eight years ago, I came into um, a program through the teachings of Kundalini Yoga called Beyond Addiction, which is a program that is founded by one of my teachers in Canada, Anne Gabor. And, uh, and, and I went on to this program and I decided to really take that journey forward and, and even sort of specialize and, and do more of it and share community classes about this program. And that's when I began sort of that that deeper connection with Gabor's work. Um, and really when it comes to addiction as, as we understand it, uh, addiction really is, is anything that we do repeatedly that has a negative impact um, and is used as an escape hatch. So anything that we are using, so I, I use that word use, you know, what am I using? I could be using anything, I could be using uh, our social media, we could be using sugar, we could be using food, we could be using alcohol, we could be using burying ourselves in somebody else's story as an escape hatch. 
uh, and, and escape hatch from what? We talk about the pain and the, uh, most of us are experiencing some level of pain that we haven't fully processed or addressed. And so um, whenever we use uh, as, as an escape from that pain, it can be uh, sort of uh, labeled as an addiction. And when we use repeatedly to the extent that something else is happening, you know, our relationships are affected, uh, our bodies are, uh, are, 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 are not serving us in the same way anymore, um, our minds are not working in the way that we would like them to work, then this is already having a, a negative impact. So the answer uh, is to address the pain, to feel the pain, to process the pain, to acknowledge the pain, and to move through it, to move through it. And this is something that Gabor talks a lot about, and, and we actually talk a lot about it in the teachings of Kundalini Yoga. So in a way, his teachings are very much, um, very much in sync with the yogic teachings and especially the teachings that, that I've been working with very, very closely for the last 10 years. Um, now, it's interesting when you talk about the pain, I'm 50 and I have noticed through my 40s, people getting progressively unhappier. You know, I can, I can see that rising and I have a theory, <laughs> but I, I've, I've read it. I've read it also that when you don't deal with your pain, it's sort of like you use these mechanisms that you use to cope, but they become less effective over time. It's almost like a pot on a, on a, pot, a lid on a pot that's going to boil over. But yeah. people are, seem so scared to address this pain, but like, like it's gonna blow up and take them over. Like, can you just sort of talk about that? Like you do it gently, you dig in. It's not like they're gonna have some sort of eruption and never recover. But do you find that people think that? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think what ends up happening is that we, we create a pressure cooker for the pain at times. And, um, and, and pain is, is really sadness. It's, it's sadness and, 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 it, and that sadness can be expressed in many different ways, including anger. And we know that anger is, is the bodyguard of, of sadness, in fact. Um, it's, it's a lack of understanding around, uh, around, around what pain is. It's a lack of understanding around where to go, how to do that, what resources to access. Um, you know, it could be as simple as just starting by getting into your body and acknowledging that something's there. It could begin with a journey of acknowledging that stagnant energy, the energy that's not moving inside of you. It could begin with a visit to a trusted, um, a trusted mentor or a therapist or a coach and you suddenly realize, actually, gosh, I'm hanging on to something that is an old story, you know, something that is part of my childhood, something that is a part of me. And I can't believe that I'm now 50 years old and still holding on to this pain and it's still expressing itself in this highly dysfunctional way. Um, it could be a chat with one of your girlfriends where you actually realize that there is something there. And, and so, so pain, when it's ignored, can turn into many, many different things. It can erupt into many different things. It's true. Uh, only when we create a pressure cooker for it. The key is to create pillars in our life that 
um, that allow us to not just note the pain, to understand the source of that pain, but also to keep us elevated and above that pain. Because okay. pain is, we all have pain. We all have pain. And, and you know, we all have pain from our, we were all born into a life with different social conditions and social programs. And, uh, and through our social conditioning, we would have uh, developed certain reactive patterns and coping mechanisms. And cope, I use the word coping because we would have coped with something in, a, in our environment that didn't entirely serve what we as children uh, might have needed. And that's not because our parents or our caretakers or whatever was going on around us wasn't necessarily um, ideal. It's because the nature of being human is to have an experience of that lack. And we search for it for the rest of our lives. And we search for it in so many different ways, in another partner, in an addiction, uh, through the work that we do. And we yearn and we chase and we yearn and we chase when actually everything is inside of us. But it's an old program, an old pattern that just hasn't been fully addressed. Sometimes when we acknowledge that one thing that kind of kept us going in our reactive pattern for years and years and years, sometimes decades, we've already cut the cord of that pain. Ah, mm. okay. So when you, when someone comes to you with it, what you talk about these pillars, what do you sort of, what are some of the things you, you encourage them to do? To yeah. This? So, so the first thing um, would be to, to ask, and, and I work very holistically. So uh, it's, it's, do you have a practice, a spiritual practice? And when I talk about spiritual practice, I'm not talking about, you know, sort of like, necessarily just you know going to the mosque and praying on, praying on Fridays or going to church every Sunday like clockwork is do you have something that keeps you in the remembrance that you are more than just your flesh and bones that you're more than just your mind but that you're a spirit being in this human life something that just keeps you in remembrance of that wonder of that mystery that goes beyond anything the finite mind would have us know and it could be as simple as a practice of watching the sunset at the same time every day. It could be your weekly hike into the desert or into the mountains. It could be your time by the sea when you just go into deep states of silence without your phone, without a fan, without chit-chatting. It could be you and your dog, whatever is your experience of spirit. Um, it's, it's, it's really, do, we, do you have that? So I always push people to realize what that is for them. It could be your cooking projects with your daughter, you know, every Friday or every Saturday. It could be uh, those moments when you feel absolutely connected uh, in front of a piece of art and, and sharing and expressing that experience and feeling it inside of your body. These are spiritual experiences. Okay. You know, when we go beyond the conceptual thinking mind and that's what I encourage people to find. So spiritual practice is a big pillar of the work that I encourage. Um, I encourage people to, you know, to, to, to have also self-care pillars. You know, what do you do when you're feeling at the end of your tether? What do you do 
when you have a, a, a really intense week of work? What, what mechanisms do you have for self-care? Do you um, treat yourself to a massage every two weeks? Do you treat yourself to um, a meeting with your girlfriends? Uh, but like girlfriends that, you know, it's not like drinking buddies, but that really, uh, that really reflect the light of your soul that reflect the light of that spirit, that, that see the best of you. Uh, and, and that's something that I push people to find, community, conscious community, okay? So do we have those pillars of conscious community? Um, and, and the thing is, we know that community works. I mean, the whole premise of the 12-step program is around, is around community and conscious community, community with a purpose. But um, if you look at... Um, if you look at cultures where people are very long lived, you will find that inevitably community is a central aspect of their lives because community keeps us going. Remember that the bridge between the individual and the universal is community, which is why we're suffering so much in this pandemic because that community is being taken away from us. Right. Um, and then finally, uh, I would say that um, Find that mentor, find that mentor in your life. Uh, realize who that person is. It could be one mentor, it could be two mentors, but we thrive on mentorship. And that can come in the form of mentor, in the form of coach. It might even come to some extent in the form of your therapist, but it's really, really important to find that person who is pushing you, who is poking you, who's provoking you to, um, to find and realize that best version of yourself. It's kind of like we have we have um, that good cop and the bad cop. So if you manage, like if you imagine that a good cop is sitting on one shoulder and the bad cop is sitting on the other, we all know when we're operating from bad cop. We all know. We feel it. Other mm -hmm. people might not know, but we know. <laughs> oh, we yeah, do. So I know. So you want somebody who is going to really push you. Now, is that is that coming from your good cop, or is that really being driven by you know that shadow aspect of your nature, that hidden self, that part of you that hasn't fully um, you know sort of come to terms with your reactive patterns or whatever? And we all have them, but the point is that we want to be living out the best version of ourselves so that we can realize our mission in life. We're not gonna be doing that if we're still just going from one reaction to the other. Right, right. Yeah, I saw something the other day on TikTok. I'm a big fan of TikTok. And it was someone saying, um, you know, women, are, women have been criticized for years for being overly emotional because perhaps we cry. And this guy was saying, no, overly emotional is getting triggered and storming off. Overly emotional is like, you know, needing like pouting for the rest of the day if someone said something you don't like overly emotional are the, those are overly emotional things sometimes people think if they're not crying then they're okay <laughs> so, yeah i mean look i what is passive aggression you know right. passive right. aggression is a perfect example of um of of where we're kind of like you know one minute we're all everything's fine and it's okay and then the next minute you know we're snapping and we never know where that reaction is coming from. It's because again, we're not really living in the awareness of our stuff. And this is why we meditate. This is why we practice yoga. Uh, yoga means to yoke, to yoke. It comes from the word to yoke. 
to yoke the finite with the infinite, to keep us in the remembrance that we are more than just our conceptual thinking mind. When we meditate, we're actually developing our capacity to witness those reactions. We're developing our capacity to witness our stuff, you know, the wheel of the mind. It's like, okay, what is my story? Is my story, the I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not. Okay, boom, we chant a mantra. Why do we chant a mantra? So that we can get out of the wheel of that churning mind that's endlessly churning around the old stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. over time, when we get more refined, when we learn to train the mind, uh, over time, it, it becomes less, you know, the, the, the stick comes out less often. Let's put it that way. I like that. The stick comes out less often. <laughs> okay, can you tell, talk to me? I'm so curious about Kundalini yoga. I've been to one class and my friends constantly telling me I need to do it. But the one class I went to, like, I think I'm like, probably a lot of people are like me and I'm really into yoga and meditation and anything that I can do. But it's like with the white clothes and the turban and the arms and the, I don't know, my arms got very tired. I just, I like, I, I went once and I haven't been back. It's not that I didn't like it. It was just a lot. So what, like, what is it and why Okay, Should we do think about it? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so the first thing that I would say is we wear white to expand our projection, to expand our electromagnetic field. So actually what we're doing is we're using the technology of white to expand our projection. Why? Because the world is kind of a crazy place and you want to have something that's going to help to arm you in this world and wearing white as opposed to wearing black, for example, that absorbs all of those negative energies is going to help. Even if it helps just a little bit, try it, experiment with it. Um, Turbans have been worn for millennia uh, to support the meditative experience. When we contain the temples of the crown um, and the cranial bones, things are actually happening. When we wear our hair up, we are enhancing our ability to concentrate. Uh, you can, I mean, we know that, like when our hair is all over the place, it's a different experience. When yes. our hair is up and contained, it's different. So actually wearing a turban to add to that kind of, uh, that, that uh, experience of, of keeping the hair up is already um, heightening your concentration. Of course, there are traditions that use this technology. The word kundalini actually means coil of the lock of hair. Um, but kundalini is, when we talk about the kundalini, we talk about the fullest potential of your awakening, the fullest potential of your consciousness in this lifetime. So I love, uh, Anne-Marie, how you kind of talk about uh, you know, hold these holding postures, like, oh, you know, like, well, how much longer am I going to be like an ego eradicator or whatever posture you were in? And actually what we're doing is we're really pushing ourselves against that edge. We're pushing up against the edge and we're finding, we're finding, we're pushing through our limits. We're training ourselves to go beyond our limits because there's a difference between physical and mental pain. So most of the time, actually, it's not a physical pain because I have athletes that come into my classes who are super, super strong, but who struggle with two minutes of this because Mm. the mind is so active. What you're actually doing is you're training the mind, you're training the body, you're training your spirit to push through 
those limitations and you're building the strength of the warrior. Okay. Okay. That's what's needed in this life to navigate the pressures. We need something powerful. We need something strong and we need something that's going to push us. And, and in a way um, that irritation, you know, that frustration that comes up, that's one of the first stages of meditation, in fact. So transcending that is part of the journey. And, okay. and what you're then doing is you're catapulting yourself into a higher consciousness for, okay. for a moment. <laughs> so some people are going and dunking in ice, ice baths and some people are fasting and some people are, and then some people are holding their arms in the air in these Kundalini poses. I, I get it. So it's all about, but yeah, it, it, look, I mean, the ice bath thing, you know, you're, you're training your biological armory. You're actually, again, you're training the mind to be in this extreme state of cold. And when you train the mind, you can train it to, to transcend many, many different situations, many different circumstances. And what, what more do we need in, in these times, in these highly um, challenging times and to have a practice that allows us to transcend. I've heard when you do kindling yoga, you can have these sort of dramatic awakenings. And I think there's a part of me that's a little bit nervous about it. I don't, I don't know, like, <laughs> does, what happens? So um, <laughs> honestly, it's so different for everybody. I would never ever presume to know what, it, what, what, what would happen for you personally, but uh, for, for everybody, is it's different. For some people, they feel that energy straight away. Um, and it could be just like an energy of like, aha, aha, okay, I see now. I see my life. I see what's, what's, what's going on. I, oh, it could be just like a, a momentary um, sort of minute or two of bliss of like, ah. This feels really, really good. I feel like I've come home. I feel like I've come home to something. It could just be that the practice ends up taking that sharpness out of your reactive patterns. Um, it's different for everybody. Um, it could be very blissful. It could actually bring out some of the tears that haven't been cried. It could just be a very physical experience for you initially, but for everybody, it's different. I would honestly say, have multiple experiences. Uh, see what it, because no two classes are the same. Um, no two teachers are the same. Not that I would uh, kind of put too much stock in the teacher that, that, that teaches because a good teacher is always channeling anyway. Uh, and, and, and typically, um, typically they're, they're fairly well-trained. So, especially in the school of yoga. So have, a couple of experiences like nothing might happen you might go into a class and like you'll be like oh nothing happened damn you know you might go into another class and it'll be like wow okay this feels good but we don't attach ourselves to any particular outcome and we go into it with an openness ideally uh and uh and and, and that really supports the experience okay and your arms are supposed to get tired that's <laughs> We had, you know, in one of our classes this week, uh, with with the, where a lot of my tra my trainees are, uh, we had a, a posture where we were holding here. And by the way, it's not always like this. Sometimes you're doing this, 
you know, yeah. for five minutes. And sometimes you're doing this for three minutes. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you're standing, sometimes you're shaking, sometimes you're dancing, sometimes you're just moving your head or your upper body. Other times you're just moving your legs. But in this Kriya, we call it a Kriya because it's a, it's a practice with a specific intention. So every Kriya is a sequence uh, that, that holds a specific intention. We have thousands that we work with. And in this particular Kriya, we were holding here for about 10 minutes, you know? And of course, like temptation is to drop. And my instruction for people is try to stay elevated. Try if you need to take that break to go higher as opposed to going lower. Keep the energy high and notice what's coming up for you. Notice what's coming up for you because it's going to be more than just physical pain. So, um, one last question I have for you. You've been in Dubai so long, and sometimes I know Dubai has the reputation in the world as being very superficial. Someone who's moving here from Canada was just saying, what about raising my son in such a superficial consumerist society? And I said, because um, I realized this right before the pandemic, actually, when I went to a Wim Hof workshop and met the most beautiful people, I thought to myself, yeah, there is a whole community of people who are here anyway, or maybe they came here and they've created this amazing energy. So I just wanted, you know, and then I've heard some people say, oh, the, it's a low vibe city, whatever. What, what have you seen over the time and what do you feel about that? Listen, I feel that um, the UAE and wherever you live is what you make of it. It's what you make of it. You know, you can find conscious community wherever you are. You can find like-minded souls wherever you are. If you're searching, if you want to find it, you will find it. Um, if you're in the art world, you will find like-minded artists. If you are in the yoga space, you will find other yogis that are doing inspirational things. If you're, if, if, if you're interested in being motivated by, I don't know, Islamic uh, architecture, you will find people who are interested in the same things. So the key is to be open. Um, I always say, don't blame the place. Uh, it's, it's you, your soul chose this actually you're here for a reason make the most of it i have never ever in in all my years in dubai i've never had a problem uh cultivating connection cultivating community having these incredible experiences i feel blessed to be based in dubai and to be able to serve the region the way that i do it's a highly functional uh city um again uh, you know, I get to kind of base myself here, but I travel frequently to places like Jordan and Palestine and Lebanon in pre-pandemic days. And I expect that this will continue. And these are places that, that are more complicated uh, to, to, to live in for a whole myriad of, of socio-political reasons. So home is where you make a home. And, um, and if, if, if you want to if you want to make that commitment to making a place your home, you will make it wherever it is that you go. And I sort of feel that, uh, that, that for the time being, this is, this is my home. This is where I need to be. It's been my home for 20 years. It might be my home for another 20 years. And this is, this is where, um, where I feel very connected. And, and, and all those kind of, uh, all those people that go out, oh, Dubai, it's, no, it's, I mean, we, we practiced Kundalini Yoga under, under the, the, at the foot of the Burj Khalifa. 
And of course, one might look at those pictures and say, wow, you know, how's, but this is such a sacred practice, such a beautiful practice. And here we are on the one, on the one hand, hiking in Wadi Ashoka. On the other hand, having retreats in Hatta. On the other hand, sitting, you know, at the, at the, uh, you know, at the foot of the Burj Khalifa, having an experience together. You can do it anywhere. You can make that connection anywhere if you are committed to making that connection. Wow, amazing. That's a lovely message. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank I feel you. I had a little, little therapy session myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. It's a pleasure, Anne-Marie, really. So glad that, uh, that we can have this conversation. And these are important conversations to have. Let's have more of them. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.